Welcome back to this special podcast on Lloyds Banking Group. In the last week, the government has announced it will suspend the public sale of its shares in the bank until market turbulence dies down. The bank's shares have fallen well below the government's break-even price, and for now, private investors will have to wait. In the first part of this special three-part podcast, we considered the recent history of the group through the financial crisis. In the second, we heard arguments for buying in. In this final part, we will consider the sell case. What are the things that could go wrong for Lloyds, and how will they impact private investors? Sandy Chen is an equity analyst at Senkos Securities, which is currently bearish on Lloyds. The difficulty now is that, well, we're all those gazillions of profits that I was promised, real, real profits sort of thing. And in this environment, yes, the, you know, the economy is recovering, but actually net mortgage growth and growth overall within the UK environment for banks is, is actually very, very hard to come by. The low interest rate environment has had a delayed effect on the profitability of the bank's loans. The back book, which was written at higher rates, continues to be profitable, but newer business has to be written at the new lower rates. Guy de Blonay is an equity fund manager at Jupiter Fund Management. It's true that their most profitable portion of their business is coming from the back book. It's true as well that in the short term, low interest rates um, or low interest rates for longer is not great news for their front book. At the third quarter stage, Lloyd's also revealed its other income, which includes its Scottish widow's insurance business, was weaker. Sandy Chen explains. One of the main reasons is that uh, the insurance business has weakened in terms of income, and that's partly due to them having sold part of it, but also due to the, the shift in the industry to do with the changes in the annuity business. And what that's resulted in is that there's just less income going into that division. Indeed, there is a wider question here as to whether the combined banking and insurance model, so-called bank assurance, has merit in the post-financial crisis world. The world has changed twice, I think, over the past 10, 20 years in relation to insurance and, and also actually in relation to investment banking, which is the other part of the sort of global bank assurance model. And the way that it's changed is that, one, the synergies from cross-selling, from convincing a customer to buy everything, insurance product and all the various types of insurance, plus the wealth management, plus the investment banking services, you know, alongside their current account and their mortgage, really didn't turn out like that. And along the way, there was a crisis, a pretty big one that led to the second major change, which was that now regulators are requiring far more capital to be set aside against the insurance business and the investment banking business and, and all the other sort of big components of a, of a global universal bank assurance model. Last week, we discussed the argument that is luring investors back to Lloyd's Banking Group. Market expectations that a strengthening dividend provides a good projected yield on the current share price. But how strong is this argument? The dividend decision really must be seen in the context of, of what the board at Lloyd's has to decide what to do with its, let's say, you know, th- this little pile of profits that, that it has managed to generate. Does it use it to top up its capital in an environment where actually the market rewards and the regulators reward more capital? Or do they pay it out to shareholders? So the, the incentive to pay out to shareholders is actually, I would say, rather less. Or put it this way, the, the pressure from regulators and, and I think the market to have strong capital ratios is, is greater than it was certainly you know a couple of years back. There has as yet been no special dividend or other return of excess capital as investors might have hoped. 
there was a perception, say, about two years ago that they had so much excess capital that they would come back in a big special divvy just around Christmas time so, you know, everybody could be really, really happy. And I think that didn't materialize. The The expectations are a bit more guarded uh, in the sense of, well, maybe there won't be this huge one-off special dividend, but what's the level of dividend that they can really reasonably maintain? And then that goes back to those board-level maths about really how much do we want to keep aside to, to keep the regulators happy versus give back to shareholders. Were that dividend to be threatened, it would hit the share price. Guy de Blonet again. Investors are preparing to pay higher multiples or a, pr- a higher premium to book value for a company that redistributes a bigger chunk of its earnings back to shareholder and perhaps uh, redistributes some of its excess capital, if identified as excess capital, back to shareholders. So in a low interest rate environment where there is some sort of a chase for yield, as you can't get any yield elsewhere, let's say in bond markets or on deposit, you are looking for shares that can give you much of their earnings back to you or uh, distribute their, their excess capital on top. So here, if we get disappointed that Lois has got excess capital, hasn't got perceived excess capital, and that their payout ratio is more or less capped from maybe to 50% for the next few years, there could be some disappointments from the market. Therefore, the rating could get lower or go down as a result. And how about payouts for past missold payment protection insurance? Though there is a deadline, there is an argument that there is much more pain here to come for Lloyd's especially given a possible public awareness campaign on the issue. Sandy Chen. Even though we're talking about tens of billions that have been paid by the industry as a whole, including Lloyd's, really, in terms of repaying every penny that was paid into PPI, banks, including Lloyd's, are only a little more than halfway there. So potentially, if there is a 2018 deadline, 2019 deadline, it could spark that remaining 50p of every pound of all the PPI charges that were paid. The constant stress on underlying profits, that is excluding PPI and other one-offs, has been accused of leading to an underlying itis. Put another way, can these recurring charges really be excluded from the picture? Nick Kirridge is an equity fund manager at Schroders. At the end of the day, it's irrelevant whether something goes through the exceptionals line and gets carved out of underlying or not. It all ends up impacting the book value. You can't get away from that. Everything hits book value. It is the great leveller. And therefore... You just haven't seen book value growth. You haven't seen the growth in the underlying assets. People who invested and got their share of the assets have not seen those assets grow for them over time. And that's been the most disappointing thing. And you frankly need to see that. That will be part of the rehabilitation. That and dividends, those two things, will contribute to people saying, well, perhaps I can invest in these businesses at book value or below book value or just over book value because I think book value might actually grow over time. All the while, there is the challenge of newer or smaller banks without the legacy issues that Lloyds has. Sandy Chen. Smaller banks, simpler banks, have an advantage in that, in that they're a much simpler, more straightforward investment proposition that one can say, oh, well, I understand it's got these three levers and it adds up to 12% return on equity and so it should be priced at whatever price to book. Then there are the prospects for the UK economy. Buy-to-let and commercial property lending are two areas that have been recently scrutinised by the Bank of England. Lloyd's has exposures in both of those areas, but particularly in, in the area of mortgages because they're the largest mortgage lender and they do have a significant presence in the buy-to-let market as well. So the risk 
specifically for Lloyds is that the Bank of England says, well, we're going to require higher capital to be set aside against buy-to-let mortgages or just make it in some other way more expensive for Lloyds to grant an, uh, a buy-to-let mortgage because the Bank of England is trying to cool that part of the property market down. Guy de Blonay also strikes a note of caution here. One has to remember that uh, uh, level of employment is uh, at record low, house prices at record high. Most of the good news is out there and investors are pricing or putting a premium on book uh, very much because this is a favourable environment. So we've had tailwinds for the last few years that enabled the company to bring its level of impairments at a very low level. I'm simply saying here that the amount of good news cannot last forever. In this podcast, we have considered the recent history of Lloyd's Banking Group, the buy case and the sell case for its shares. You can find all the episodes on Acast, SoundCloud, iTunes and other services. This podcast was presented by me, Ian Smith, company's editor of the Investors Chronicle, and produced by our digital production editor, Dominic Toms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 